Oh, you're a foliger now. <laughs> for foliage. <laughs> you're a forager. And then I just do a nice design in my living room with that. And so what do you forage? Bits of fir tree. <laughs> That's not really foraging. That's just picking up bits of fir tree. Is that what foraging is? It's like wild swimming. You just put a fancy name on something. You just gather stuff from outside. <laughs> Dead leaves. <laughs> <laughs> and you bring it into your home. All right, okay. <laughs> I do that all the time, but it's normally on the bottom of my shoe. Does that count? <laughs> so, welcome to Do Do Social Work. Uh, nice to see you again, Sarah. How are you doing? Hello, Paul. Nice to see you. My name is Paul Shuttleworth. I am a lecturer at Kingston and Sussex University. And Sarah, do you want to introduce yourself? I'm Sarah. I'm a social worker and I currently work in the domestic abuse sector. Lovely. Thank you. I mean, not lovely, but lovely. I am lovely. <laughs> you are lovely. Today we're talking about communication. We're going to put a, a little bit of a festive twist on it because it's... Christmas time. Christmas time. Christmas I was time. think I was only thinking yeah. if, um, earlier today when we did our Christmas special this time last Christmas, year. Christmas. Do, 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 do. Yes. And it only felt like the other day. Do you think? I think it felt like ages ago. What? Like a year ago. <laughs> a year ago. No, it did feel like a year ago. <laughs> to me, yeah, I just remember our, our funny social work Christmas podcast. But yeah. this one's more around social work skills and communication. Yes. Yes. We will try to make it um, slightly festive though. So let's uh, go straight into our doo doo. So, um, what are the positive things that you've done this week or recently? I know that you're going to love this. Oh, great, yes. So, this week, mm. I've seen Jupiter in the sky, Paul. <laughs> Have you? Yeah. What does Jupiter look like? Just a really big star. All oh, right, okay. All right. So, does that mean anything? or? It means that there's Jupiter in the sky. <laughs> okay, no. Then. Because you can't see it all year round. <laughs> No. And it's really nice to be able to look in the sky and think, wow, because years ago we wouldn't have known that that's Jupiter, but because we now have the technology, things have advanced, and I've got an app on my phone that tells me <laughs> it's Jupiter, I just think it's quite fascinating to look up into the sky yeah. at night. I and mean, obviously when you live in the city, you don't see nearly as many stars that are actually there. So when you do see this beautiful, bright star, and then you figure out as a planet, you just realise... And it's something that I've always... Uh, one of the things that I've always learned from you, Sarah, is to look up. It's what you always tell me to do. Mm -hmm. And so um, I do that a little bit more often, just to see what's around me. Good. Nice. Um, so my do-do is, um, dare I say, this is a bit geeky, but dare I say, um, Doctor Who? Doctor Who's back on, and this is a great thing for someone, a geek like me. Do you ever watch Doctor Who? You look at me, at me like I'm strange. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yes, you are. I don't watch it, no, Paul, but I have watched it years ago, so I do know what you're talking about. I just don't watch it. At the moment, it's, I, I would recommend it to all social workers. It's got some great social justice stuff in there there's stuff around kind of trans issues about identity as well there's stuff around humanity what it means to be human we've got a first black doctor just all of these things kind of melding together to be just a great story and i would thoroughly recommend it you're still not convinced but there you go <laughs> So, Paul, what's your poo-poo this week? Um, so, it's actually been happening for the last couple of weeks. I would say about the festive season. That's where I was going to lean towards. Yeah. I mean, you can't ignore it, so let's go with this as a thing. But I don't mind the festive season as a season, I d but I hate festive instead of Christmas or Hanukkah. What's wrong with Christmas? So just saying Christmas. I'm one of those people that says festive. Why? Why, why do you do that? I just don't want to upset anyone. Not, no, but I'm not saying that in a religious sense. When yeah, I say yeah. I use festive, because actually I think Christmas, for lots of people, has lots of connotations around that it should be joyful and jolly. And actually, for lots yeah. of people, it really isn't. Yeah, but then festive, 
it's seasonal. So How about seasonal? Mm. Seasons greetings. Just, call it Christmas. just say Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Happy Christmas. Okay. I just let's do it. Let's name it for what it is. Yeah. Okay. So I guess I would draw on a little bit of what we what we talked about last year. Yeah. Titty tattle. Titty tattle. <laughs> Titty tat? Tat. Tat. <laughs> Christmas tat. tat. Or shall I say festive tat? Like No! Christmas. <laughs> Christmas tat. So this sense that, again, it's the time of year that everyone's got to spend money buying tat that people don't need. Yeah. And so there's a lot of plastic out there. There's yeah. a lot of gadgets. There's yeah. a lot of children's toys that are just full of plastic and like just nonsensical really yeah. so there's something also around the for me the christmas season is not about getting tat or buying tat it's about spending time yeah. it's about the privilege of being able to eat nice food yeah. um and just the the idea that actually the the uh, days are a lot shorter so let's kind yeah. of do as much nice things as we can to yeah. keep feeling upbeat yeah, and yeah. and stuff so, yeah. it's about the experience it's about getting a nice experience and if you're lucky you can have a nice experience with with people that you love so paul tell us about what we're going to be covering in today's episode so today we're going to first talk about communication we're going to talk about the necessary skills that we need to have for communication in terms of social work and then we'll go into the basics of egan really so egan um, um, an introduction to egan an introduction to egan we'll look at egan interviewing and how egan can um if you think of it like a, a cheesecake a nice base for social work skills and social work practice or if we're going Christmassy, yeah I don't the know. spongy trifle yes of the this is nonsense. Yeah, I know it is nonsense. But, so can we just actually clarify, because as you were talking, yes. because you know about Egan, but actually I had to look up Egan. Yeah. So we're talking about the Egan's model yes. for communication. Yes. And, and how social workers can apply it to practice. Yes, and it's a skilled helper. And it's taught in quite a lot of universities, again, as a basis. It has a little bit of problems with it. I mean, it was it was devised in the 70s. But as I say, it's a really nice basis to start thinking about communication. We know that it's vital for social work, wouldn't you say? Yes, I think communication is kind of what absolutely underpins all social work. And yeah. it's a key skill that those kind of in this sector need to have. Yeah, absolutely. And it's just about having those values as well that underpins it. So being empathetic. Empathy is vital. Being respectful. Being good at listening, which I'm not particularly good at myself, <laughs> but being good at listening. We take the, the sense of kind of having communication skills with, within social work, kind mm. of take it for granted. Mm. But actually, communication skills is something that people, would you say people have or people can develop or learn? And you also referred to empathy. Is that something that people can learn or do you think that's a characteristic that some people hold more so than others? So to answer the second part of your question first so in terms of empathy there's different types of empathy and people are able to do uh, different types of empathy so some people are very empathetic in terms of emotionally so they will you'll see them visibly get upset when someone else is upset for example crying at movies or whatever is not something that I would do. Are you, do you know that you're lying <laughs> when you say that? Because you're laughing. <laughs> unless it's Doctor Who. <laughs> or when Catherine Tate got her agency taken away from it. And it. Yes, unless it's Doctor Who. But there's other types of empathy. So being able to put yourself in someone else's shoes, but not having that emotional reaction. Yes, it's that thing, isn't it? Because there's like the, the logical empathy that yes. it will be using up different parts of your brain. So you'll either be accessing that really emotional hippocampus part of your brain yes. that connects to your emotions and then you feel things yes. physically on behalf yes. of other people yes. or also logically where you can actually kind of imagine or begin to understand yes 
but it doesn't connect necessarily up to your emotions. Yes, yes. and so uh, sometimes when we think about things like neurodivergence, we might say, well, someone with neurodivergence doesn't have, isn't able to empathise, and that's just wrong. They mm. are able to empathise, but people are able to empathise in different ways. Mm. So it's just thinking about empathy in kind of a broad scope of what that can mean. And also, I guess, then putting it into practice for social workers again, because I think I know we're going to be talking about Egan's module and Mm. I'm kind of really focusing on the empathy side of it at the moment. But that sense of like being able to feel, Mm. I think within social work as well, obviously, we know empathy is hugely important. Being able to manage the day to day job and your own kind of resilience and the impact of the work that you have to kind of almost learn if that if you are one of those people that feels other people's emotions you can't do that every day because that would just be like exhausting so there's that thing that social workers also have to learn around boundaries with yes. their with their empathy towards others as well i mean this is a, yeah this is a really interesting conversation because actually you're right you have to be able to reflect and you have to be able to manage your own kind of uh, sense of self and your own emotions but also you also need to make sure that you don't detach too much Mm -hmm, you know mm -hmm. if you get compassion fatigue what can happen is therefore you just do it as very task orientated and I suppose bringing it back to kind of communication how we communicate we don't actually think about how we communicate that much we just kind of think it's common sense yeah the loss of social work is common sense well actually there are theories behind it there is a way of practice behind it which requires us thinking about how we do. And we know that failing to communicate effectively can cause serious harm. Um, Working on those relationships is so important, relationship-based practice, to enhance social work outcomes. So that answers the first part of your question about whether um, communication skills is something that's learnt or is something that, uh, that we have that's innate. And I guess the answer is always both. But it's something that we need to concentrate on a little bit more. We can always develop and learn our skills. And I think yes. kind of over the, if I look back over the course of my kind of career, I would say I'm a way better communicator than what I would have been when I first started. And that would be because of the building blocks that you that you learn and yeah. different strategies and being able to draw on different models. Yeah. And for example, what we're going to be talking about with, with Egan. I remember when I kind of first met Evil and, and one of the things that really, really struck me about you is I would say something like, you know, I'm, I'm just I'm finding it really difficult at the moment because this is happening in my life or, or whatever it might be. And you would say, well, that's OK. And it's usually what happens with some of my friends, which are, let me solve that for you. Mm -hmm. Or you don't need to worry about that. Just saying that's okay is really kind of more affirming because if you say things like, well, you shouldn't be feeling like that, not only do you feel like you've still got the problem, but you feel stupid for having the problem. So just that kind of acceptance. So that's one of the things that you do that I have mimicked, plagiarised, paid homage to throughout my career. Oh, that's really nice, Paul. Thank Mm. you. I like that. That's a really lovely compliment, actually. I mean, you've never said that I'm beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, and you're beautiful. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Yeah, do you you know that you do that? Do you you know that you communicate in that way? Am I consciously doing it at the time? No. Like, I'm not drawing on a, this is a strategy that I use in these circumstances. I think when that thing of when someone kind of announces something that's happening for them yeah it's uncomfortable I don't want to minimize it I don't want it to take it away from them I don't want to distract them from it I want to just accept it's a little bit around the Buddhist noble truths of acceptance of going this is where you are or yeah. I am this is what's happening right now and it's okay like we can sit with that yeah because it's going to change and move on and it won't always be like that and if yeah. we try and ignore things like you said tell somebody that they should that they should be feeling something else or that they're not dealing with it properly 
actually it's also then shying away from some of what life is difficult sometimes and actually let's not pretend it's not yeah yeah so there's been kind of studies on on how social workers should communicate and as i said you do it very very well not that we can't all learn and We'll probably mess up a little bit at the end. When of we course, try we it all out. get we all get it wrong as well sometimes, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know. But that's why reflecting on what we've done well and what we haven't done well is so important. But um, in terms of kind of Richard um, et al. in two thousand five, he kind of looked at different ways that communicate and tried to place it within actual social work context because it's all very well that we start talking about how communicating is vital and and how talking and listening and active listening and that takes time but actually in a really busy social work practice especially with managerialism and all of that kind of stuff it's just kind of are we not just laying it on kind of social workers Richards talks about what we have been talking about, the emphasis on listening, paying attention, listening to people's perspectives, trying not to take our own perspectives of things qualities of empathy, genuineness, respect, and the word that sends shivers down my spine, the phrase rather, the use of self. Can I just interrupt yeah. you? Two things. Mm. One of them, when you're referring to Richards, mm. I sorry, I don't know if I just zoned out for a moment. What, who's Richards? So Richards and why is he not Egan? That's why I'm confused. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Richards um, did, uh, did a report in terms of communication skills for practice, but looked at the ethical dilemmas around it. So, okay. so I'm drawing from... Uh, it's almost like a synthesis, a, a, a review of kind of different communication skills and how they relate to kind of social work. OK, thank you. Talk to me about why you really dislike the term the use of self. I think it gets banded around a little bit too much. Overused. Yeah. And I think it means different things to different people. And what does it mean to you? For me, it's looking at how we are placed within the organisation we work for in terms of our personal life, what's going on for us, but also it looks at how much disclosure we should have, how much we should use our experience and that real fine balance of being kind of led by us, but also making sure that we are not leading. I think I interpret the use of self kind of similar to that, because it is that sense of how you're showing up in that moment with mm. those people that the family or client or you know who you're working with mm. and it is around how you bring your skills how you bring your experience but also like the use of self of like what what might have happened to you before you got to work that day and yeah. how how does that then play out in terms of your professionalism as you said the, the kind of boundary setting and that sense of the use of self around what's the experience of people that you work with how do they experience mm. our self because you know as social workers I think we can all identify that you will work with people that sometimes you just feel like yep you've got a good relationship you've managed to build a good rapport the communication has been there there's that professional trust and then other times you can just work with people where they just really dislike you and actually you might dislike them as well yeah, yeah. and therefore that kind of that use but yet another social worker might be put on the case and then that just seems to work so there's something yeah. about the use of self of who we are because we're all individuals and it's that balance as well of kind of being autonomous mm. in your practice because that's around your use of self mm. versus kind of who you are within the system and how decisions have to get made within legislation or management structures etc yeah it's really interesting isn't it and I, i'm as someone that's quite egocentric like myself you know everything it's always about me 
Um, That's not true. Well, you say it's not true, but actually, I'll give you an example. If I lost my ability to uh, watch Doctor Who, well, that would be a massive thing for me. What about you? If you lost your ability to watch Doctor Who, would that mean... I mean, nothing. <laughs> nothing to me. <laughs> so we have to think about that in terms of what loss means for the person. That's why we start from that point of listening to people, active listening. It's hard to do. Let's talk a bit about effective listening because okay. you talk about the kind of the act of listening. Yeah. And as social workers, you listen all the time, right? Yeah. Communication, we've it's it underpins the work. There have been times when you the experience of sometimes you work with people that that talk loads, mm. and then other times you'll be working with individuals that it's really hard to get any information from them, right? Mm. So there's kind of that real polarized, and of course then there's people in the middle. Mm. But I ha can own that I've been in situations where people will be talking at me, mm. and it's really hard. Is it like to... now. <laughs> <laughs> And it's really hard to maintain that concentration. You might just dip out or dip in. <laughs> I mean, to be honest, I'm trying to think about what I'm having for dinner, but carry on. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's that thing, isn't it? Yeah. Because somebody will be talking to you, um, and as a social worker, you might be thinking, oh my goodness, look at the time. I need to get back and write that report because the deadline's today. Yeah. Or or you may be you know, mentally doing your shopping list in yeah, your yeah, head yeah. or whatever. But... Oh, I like this. Sometimes I'm kind of, I'm doing the listening stuff and I'm, I feel like I'm doing really, really well. <laughs> So my inner monologue is like, I'm really good at listening. I'm smashing this. And then they'll be saying something like, sorry, what, what were you saying? <laughs> uh, yeah. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So right. listening, again, we're only humans. Yes. So we do, of course, there's going to be times when we're doing it really well. And there's going to be other times that we we slip up. We also got to remember nonverbal cues. Yes, social workers do need to remain aware of nonverbal cues and yes. and that might be around people's body language, yep. tone of voice, etc. Yep. So it isn't just the things that people say. No. And it's really really crucial in order to have the effective communication yeah. to pick up when you can inquire further or gently challenge for example yes. when when somebody may be feeling traumatized and how to kind of then support people with that so 70 to 93 percent of communication is non-verbal yeah that's just that's astounding isn't it I did communication studies at university. Oh, yes. so. so you did I forgot about that yeah just before we're going to go into Egan in one second Let's think about communication in terms of difficulties. We touched upon it before, difficulties in practice. Okay. So we talked about before that actually the rush, the constant demands of social work can mean that you actually have to be kind of very task orientated. Can you think of any other kind of difficulties in terms of communication in terms of practice? Well, I, I would say definitely the demands of the job. So mm. that sense of being kind of really busy, needing to be straight to the point in communication. And that might be verbal or written in your emails. Uh, I think sometimes how you're feeling, how you're feeling is very important as well. Sometimes we get the pressure of we have to do this right. What's a good question? Make sure you don't do uh, closed questions. Make sure you only do open questions. And it's a lot of pressure. So we just sometimes we just go, oh, well. Well, and also we've only got, as social workers, you've got a set amount of time to spend with each family, haven't yeah, you? Yeah. So ideally, the open questions are great mm. because that does elicit more information. But it depends if you're working with somebody who's a who who talks a lot mm. versus somebody who, who who finds it very hard to open mm. up. So mm. therefore, your your approach has to be different. Mm. And the importance of silence as well doesn't get doesn't get talked about enough. It doesn't get talked about. Let's just reflect on that for a minute. Good. So, <laughs> but it is really important. But you have to have time to sit with silence as well. 
and the strength to do it. Okay, let's go into Egan interviews. So Gerard Egan uh, did this model in the 70s uh, called The Skilled Helper, adapted it uh, later on. But theoretically, The Skilled Helper draws from different approaches, different theories. So you've got Karkov's theory. So that's the theory of high-level functioning um, helpers. Is that what social workers are? Yes, exactly that. We are high-level functioning helpers. So we have skills of empathy, of respect, all of these things that are social work values. So the other part of high-level functioning helper is confrontation, being able to actively confront and challenge. We've talked about this before in other podcasts. It's not just challenging in terms of the people we work with, but also people we work with in terms of our colleagues as well. And challenge and confrontation, the connotations associated with that are kind of conflict sometimes. But actually confrontation and challenge can be done via difficult conversations, but can be managed with respect, empathy, emotional warmth. Yes. So we have Karkov's uh, theory of high level functioning, also strong social influence theory. And that's kind of a little bit like I'm okay, you're okay type thing. So if someone sees that the helper, so in this case, the social worker, the professional is okay then actually that's kind of gives a sense of relief, really. Is that kind of a little bit rooted in attachment theory then? Again, with that kind of secure attachment that if your caregiver or if your attachment, main attachment figure is okay, then then you are. Because we know that within social work, individuals that you work with, how they respond to relationship with social workers Obviously, there's lots of variables, but one of them is also rooted in attachment theory that yeah. according to how they experienced help in the past yeah. is how people will then interact with you as social workers or within that position of power, which is kind of rooted within attachment theory as well. Yeah. And so in terms of therapy and therapists as well, some of those attachment styles might resurface as well. We know that. So we know that someone might automatically become avoidant or become preoccupied, you know, falling in love with your therapist is is not an uncommon thing in really intense therapy not the kind of stuff that social work do but we know that in terms of transference and projection and things like that and then the last thing is just kind of uh, good old bandura's kind of learning theory so that's just i suppose that's around kind of empowerment so people learning that they are able to do something that it's they have the ability to do things and so that's the role of the social worker isn't it it's it's around helping people to develop their own inner resources yeah building it on their own skill sets helping people to accept their own sense of responsibility about taking action and making change and helping people identify goals yeah. opposing to telling people what they should and shouldn't be doing yeah okay the egan interview has a set man- number of stages so it's got three stages uh, four if you include kind of the evaluation bit. So let's go with the three stages. Now that's not to say these stages happen one after the other and sometimes you kind of jump around. So the first stage is around exploration. So that's just kind of finding out where people are now. The second stage is a little bit of kind of challenging, but it's also around, it's kind of deepening that further understanding as well of, of what's going on. And it's looking about where you want to be in the future. And then the third stage is kind of goal setting, acting and goal setting. When we're holding the Egan model in mind, Mm. where would we apply this in practice? It should be the basis of all interactions that we have. Okay. Again, so that's not just with families that we work with in various different situations. Yeah. But also the people that we work with, our managers, our peers. So we can draw on the Egan model kind of throughout communication styles. It's not just necessarily during one particular interview or et cetera, et cetera. It's saying this is something that can underpin all of your work. Yes, it can underpin so many relationships. 
However, if someone's coming to you and they are experiencing homelessness or something that needs some real, real solutions right now, Egan's not necessarily the best because you don't have time to do this exploring the uncertainty. So he's not, Egan isn't offering you crisis intervention? No, because that needs more, much more um, task oriented support. So the effective listening element yes. that underpins uh, these stages is that Egan came up with, he draws on the acronym of SOLAR. SOLAR, with an E. With the one I've got, it's spelt with an A. No, really, I've got S-O-L-E-R. Anyway, go for the, go for the S. Okay, squarely. Yeah, that's not as in, like, be, like, uh, a geek like me. <laughs> it means... How you sit. But yes. I was thinking, some of the best conversations that you can have with somebody is when you're in the car driving, and we talk about that when we work with children and young people. We do. So it's interesting that, and I know this is from the 1970s mm. and things have moved on, and mm. we can think about how people experience communication, but that sitting front on with someone can mm. feel quite intimidating and confrontation and mm-hmm. may not be the most helpful. No. We're doing it right now, aren't yeah, we? Yeah, we are. We're practising it. It's because we know. It's because I know you well that I feel comfortable sitting with you like this. Yeah. But if I didn't know you. But also, if you had, if one of us had neurodivergence as well, yeah. we might not be looking at each other's eyes. That might be actually really threatening. Yes. For us. Yeah. Yeah. I could give or take that. that okay. One. O. Open posture. Yes. Do, okay. do you have that? Yes. Oh, as in yes. That's what I've got. <laughs> so that's. I mean, that speaks for itself. That yeah. one. Don't sit with your arms folded. Yeah. Puts people off. Puts people off. L. Lean. Lean in. That's all right, isn't it? It is. It's better than leaning out. But leaning in, you don't want to be... You've got to be mindful of people's personal space. And again, it's got to be... You've got to be appropriate. Yeah. Okay. But I think, actually, in terms of that space, you can be kind of quite far away from someone, but leaning in. Yes. So in... And even if it's just a head tilt. Yeah, (laughs) some people find head tilts really patronising. Why? So people tend to do the head tilt, I think, but you just need to be mindful oh. of... <laughs> exactly, unless you want to punch you in the face. Oh. No, it doesn't, it doesn't. It's Christmas. Normally, <laughs> but not at Christmas. Great. I've worked out what your E is and my A is Okay, now. let's go for it. So I'll tell you what yours is and okay, you have to guess what mine is. Right. What's yours, e? is yours is eye contact. It is, yeah. So what's mine with the A? awareness or something like that it's appropriate eye contact oh okay good all right okay (laughs) (laughs) um r relaxed helper relaxed so yes so all of the above but relaxed (laughs) (laughs) and appropriate and appropriate (laughs) not too much just don't be too much bring it back a bit (laughs) so let's go through quickly go through the stages and then we're going to try it out so i haven't told you this yet but we're going to try it out, Sarah, in a festive way. I know, exciting. (laughs) If you can see Sarah's face, it doesn't look exciting. Exciting, right? And before we go into the stages, one little bit, which is about small talk, the value of small talk, the value of talking about the weather. So rapport building, we call it in terms of research. Don't just launch straight into stage one, two, three. How have you been today? What what have you been up to today? That stuff. I've got a bit of feedback about that. Yeah, go for it. It's always important to listen to the people who use our services. Yeah. And that some feedback that I've received around that is some people would prefer much more being direct. Mm. So the idea that when the social worker first turns up on the doorstep, that they start talking about your dog or that the weather's this or the parking, etc. That small talk Mm. 
I think there's an absolute time and place for it. But actually, if you're that individual and a social worker is arriving at your home mm. to have a conversation with you about your children or your safeguarding, for example, yeah, you can't even concentrate on yeah. that on the small talk because you want to know why they're there, what's what's happening next. So yeah. it is that so it's about getting the balance right. It I guess. is once again, yeah. We've got the three stages. Stage one, explore, exploration, finding out where you are. So this involves positive body language, attention giving, active listening. So leaning forward, nodding, focusing on what's being said, thinking a little bit about um, empathy again, acceptance, being able to detach from your judgment, not being judgmental and keeping your views to yourself if you want to find out what's really going on. So reflecting back because no one uh, opens up to situations for feeling judged. And one of the ways that we can do that is just paraphrasing, summarising. So saying, so what I've heard is, have I got this right? So just to reflect back what I think you've told me, is that correct? So that's a way of doing that kind of active listening. Questioning, how did you feel about that? Um, what were you thinking at the time? Not like, what, what were you thinking? <laughs> but as in, you know, what, what were you thinking at the time? What was going on for you at that time? And uh, just uh, what else is there about that? Um, thinking about anything have you missed? Um, other ways of looking at things. So reflecting, clarifying. And the stage one is probably the most important bit. Often as social workers, because we want to help all the time, we jump to trying to find solutions. And actually that bit of my friend Sarah saying things like, that's okay, rather than saying, right, you need to do this, you need to do that, whatever it might be. Yeah. Just that it's okay, or beginning to understand that situation, what that might feel like for you, sometimes is more than enough for people. Yeah. Well, and also I think if you skip stage one mm. and... Tr you miss out on a really important relationship building stage and then it's quite hard to then get back to that. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So then looking at stage two is this kind of where do you want to be? So it's that understanding, but also challenging. So saying, trying to look at kind of patterns and themes and trying to get people to recognise those patterns and themes. Have you done this? Is it, have you ever come across this kind of feeling before or this way of kind of working around things before? Again, kind of what might this look like from another person's point of view? What in particular about this is a problem for you? And thinking again about how, um, if it was your friend and you told this to a friend, what do you think they would say about it? There's a little bit about self-disclosure as well here in this kind of stage two. What, thinking about social workers' self-disclosure mm. and what you share and what you don't share about mm. yourself. What do you think it's, about that? Well, it's really interesting because in my role as a social worker, you know, professional boundaries, of course, are really important. And that term, that thing of self-disclosure was kind of really limited. And sometimes I might share s small things about myself. On the whole, the professional boundaries are really strong. Mm. Yet when I've kind of changed roles, I'm doing more development work. Actually, in that sector, there's a lot more self-disclosure that happens and people are comfortable with that and it's mm. kind of encouraged. Yes. And then the last stage, which you might not get to, especially the first few times that you meet someone, is about goal setting. Stage three is kind of very solution focused. So it's thinking about what solutions the person that we're working with, what they can offer, because if they come up with the solutions, they're more likely to, to carry those out. They're more likely to be realistic as well. And it's looking about how to get there. How will you know that you're there? So using kind of solution focused stuff like scaling questions, like the magic questions, which are if you woke up tomorrow morning and everything was as you wanted it to be, what would that look like? So looking at those solution focused things and also kind of motivational interviewing. There's a lot there. Yeah. What we're going to do is we're going to do a little bit of a role play. And this is what we do with students. Now, some people hate role plays. Some people uh, love the drama of role... I don't know who I'm thinking of. 
is... Sorry, does anyone know my life? Buckle up. Yeah, yeah. Well, there you go. When I facilitated workshops at the university to yeah, social yeah. work students, people absolutely recoil when we say we're going to do role... <laughs> Not everyone. <laughs> we're going to do role play. Lots of people do. There's always How... a keen one at the front going, me, me, I'll do it. However, yeah. at the end, people also then go... That was one of their the best bits there of the workshop. Go. So role play, it can be uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. So Dixon found that actually but in 2013, he found that um, actually it was so valuable using role play with Egan. And actually afterwards, there was that uncomfortableness, but afterwards students really experienced that sense of achievement and the usefulness of role play. So it is a valuable tool, is something that we're going to do. Which is what I was just saying. Fantastic. Yes. I mean, I'm nervously chomping on this carrot stick right now. So what I'd like you to do... Oh, hello. <laughs> when I normally set this up with students, um, we always ask that they use real-life situations. Now, the reason we do that is because otherwise people, if they make things up, mm -hmm. um, they tend to go big. <laughs> so what I'd like you to do is something nice, something Christmassy, something festive. Okay. Let's go for it. Yep. Um, and we will just try um, and use the Egan kind of interviewing okay. style. Yep. And, as I say, and then we will reflect on it and see what happened, what was successful, what was less successful in terms of... Okay. Square on. Square on. Lean in. Okay. Appropriate eye contact. Okay. And this is, I guess the other thing to say is, this is not role play in the sense that actually we're dealing about a real life situation. This is you and I having a conversation with Correct. you using the Egan model yes. and me taking it seriously and not making something up. Exactly okay. that. So would you like me to start with a bit of rapport building? I think it's necessary. Okay, let's do that then. So hello Sarah. Hi, nice hello Paul. Nice to see Paul. you today. How's your day been so far? Uh, it's been joyful. Oh, that's great. Good, good to hear. No, that was me being sarcastic. I'll stop it. I'll stop it. Okay, how's your day been? Jesus. Oh, no, but actually it has been because I'm doing real. I'm not doing pretend, right? Yeah. Okay, so how's your day been so far? So how's your day been so far? Middleton. Middleton? Middleton. So it's been fine. Not a oh, lot's happened. Okay. Not a lot's happened. Yeah. But I'm here uh, spending some time with you and that's nice. That is nice. So it's yeah. picking up. Good, good. So Christmas is around the corner. Yeah. How's that going for you? In honesty, mm. it feels a bit stressful because okay. um, I've been ignoring it or putting it off, if I'm really honest. Okay. I haven't bought any, like, I'd want to get some nice gifts for my family members. I haven't spent enough time with them lately. And okay. so something meaningful, not tat, you know, like want to just buy nice gifts for people. And I'm just running out of time of when I'm going to be able to do that. And I'm worried that Christmas is going to arrive and it's going to look like I haven't made enough effort. Okay, so there's a lot in there. Should we break it down a little bit? So tell me a little bit more about in terms of buying the presents for, for people. Um, I want to get out and buy nice, meaningful presents. doesn't have okay. to be a lot of money, but to do that, you need a little bit more time opposed to just kind of ordering something from a big store that's really kind of generic, if that makes sense, or mm. buying, picking something up from the supermarket. I'd like to get more personal gifts. And it's just finding the time to do that, Paul. And why is having personal gifts, why is that important to you? Because I think it shows it's more thoughtful and it's mm. um, kind of more loving. And again, going back to something I referred to earlier, I don't think we should just spend money on just general tap that people don't need mm. just for the sake of then giving a gift to somebody. So just to kind of reflect and sum up, so we're talking about you finding enough time at the moment um, in order to buy kind of meaningful gifts. In the past, in terms of kind of meaningful gifts, what kind of gifts would you say have been kind of meaningful for either that you've received or that you've kind of given? 
uh, ones that are more person-related, person-centred, mm. something that they might like, something that they've mentioned before that you then remember or something that you think, you know, opposed to just buying a kind of a shower gel set or something. Yeah, okay. Although I do like receiving shower gel because it means I don't have to buy any for a while. Right. So I do also like getting shower gel So there is that kind of conflict of actually buying something meaningful, but actually... Something useful. What you're saying now is yeah. actually something useful. Yeah, it's also good. It's also good. Yeah. So, so it's kind of taking the pressure off me a bit, actually, Paul. <laughs> okay, well, let's... Everyone not... is getting shower gel this year. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe we... I mean, let's hold on to that for a minute. We might just... A useful present might be an idea. Let's not go straight into kind of looking at solutions quite just yet. If you were to tell this to um, one of your best friends, what do you think, what do you think they would say? Um, what advice would they give you? I think they would probably say something along the lines of, don't think it really matters to your friends and family what, if you get them, what you get them or don't get them. Yes, I think they would say, take the pressure off yourself and actually to my friends and family. It's not as important to them what they receive from me as it is to me. Mm. And so in terms of, in terms of... It's just that I've never had a conversation like this with Paul before, mm. so it's just yeah, really yeah, interesting. Yeah. So there's different perceptions then in terms of the giver, the gift giver and the gift receiver. Is that what I'm kind of drawing out here? In terms it's of... not like, I, I would say that my family and slash friends wouldn't expect anything wouldn't expect a gift from me it's not like they'd be disappointed in me if I didn't okay but so that's why coming back to that sense of kind of ego maybe that we talked about at the beginning of the podcast maybe mm. this is a this is a more about me and my sense of who I am rather than actually what they would receive from me like they'd still love and accept me if I didn't give them anything at Christmas because I ran out of time okay and have you ever run out of time before I always run out of time. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe ever not given a kind of gift or anything. Yeah, I didn't get a gift, Gareth. Okay, and how did that make you feel at that time? Uh, a bit rubbish. I felt bad. So without looking at Gareth now, he's uh, here producing the podcast. So don't look at Gareth now. Uh, what do you think he would feel in terms of you not giving him a birthday gift? He might think that I don't like him as much as I say I do. Okay. So do you think that's you looked at him? Do you think that's <laughs> Do you think that's realistic in terms of how he would feel about you? Or do you think that's something, again, so you just highlighted that sometimes it's about your sense of self. I don't, well, also, because Gareth's always really thoughtful towards my birthdays and gifts. And mm. so it's it's about being that reciprocal relationship. Okay. So I want the relationship to be reciprocal. I want it to be balanced. I don't want anyone to ever feel like it's one-sided and I'm not doing enough or putting enough effort in. Okay. So it is really important then. You feel it's really important in terms of those relationships, is what I'm hearing, in order to have a reciprocal relationship and in, in terms of kind of giving and receiving those those gifts. Mm -hmm. So in terms of finding time, have you, have you ever found different ways of creating that time in the past? Probably. Can you think of any? What would I'm what... just just so not used to talking yeah, yeah. with people like this. I think even if you can just carve out half an hour like a small bit of time like yeah. half an hour so after today, half an hour after our session today yes. i am gonna nip out and get to the shops i know it's not gonna be for very long but i will find some nice bits okay all right so there is a possibility there are ways around this yes is what you're saying what can you do if you if you woke up tomorrow and you had plenty of time to buy the gifts that are really really important yeah and um, whether they be what we've talked about for meaningful or just useful yeah whichever ones 
how would that look in terms of being able to carve out that time? What would it look like? Having her, it would probably look like being able to spend, like, prepare properly, like two weeks before Christmas, okay. not a week before. Right. It probably looked like being able to spend a day getting yes. stuff or two d over the course of two days. All right. Yeah. And so is there a way that you can carve in that time at the moment? Probably not, no. Okay. So how are you going to manage that, I suppose, in terms of your expectations, if there is no way to do that? I guess, yeah, it's about managing your expectations. Okay. Yeah. All right, should we stop? Thank so, you. No it was worries. really interesting being on the receiving end of that. Um, can I, just before we go into kind of reflections on it, I just want to say that was really, really quick in terms of timescales and I jumped very much from one to two to three. Yeah. But it's really important that we don't just try and find solutions. So it's not about me going, just get yourself together and go and buy the presents. For goodness sake, you can find five minutes, can't you? And all yes. of that kind of stuff. Yeah. Or dismissing it and going, oh, do you think anyone really cares? <laughs> yeah. Um, so how did you find that then? As you said, it did go quite quickly because mm. what I experienced at the point that you were kind of doing the solution stuff, mm. I was feeling myself feeling a little bit like irritated by that yes okay that might have been the coffee that's I've had interesting this morning. though um because you went straight too quickly into the solution stuff yes rather than just do. sitting with that oh yeah that's yeah that's that's yeah. tricky um what did you find helpful the thinking about what would your friends say right okay kind of just exploring kind of like you've got the you've got the issue but let's kind of explore why that's important to you yeah and of course we use a, a real trivial thing today yeah. and actually when you're in practice you're working with people with much <laughs> they're experiencing trauma and harm and mm. we and we're dealing with much more kind of serious problems for people so yeah, it, yeah. it is going to require more time yeah um, and exploration and sometimes people come in and talk about something and we've seen this all the time it's that kind of you know that columbo effect isn't it so they come in and say oh yeah i just want to talk about my cat and whatever and then they're you're like okay no worries and uh, you know time's up and well, yeah. whatever it might be and they're just walking out their door and they go oh just one other thing I just want to say that my brother's really annoying me. And it's like that, you know, that's that's the bit. And that's it's amazing how, how that happens, that people come in to talk about and actually they want to talk and about And can go off else. point. And I guess that's our role is around keep, keeping people on point, on topic as well. But finding out what they want to talk about, because sometimes we don't know what we want to talk about. So yeah. we could be talking about actually it's about gifts when actually it could be about, you know, my relationship with someone else or, yes. or whatever yes. so one of the key points i guess for me sometimes is just kind of saying so is that what you'd like to talk about or would you like to talk about this yeah because we can talk about then we'll talk about that another time let's focus on this so keeping that focus what else did you find what did you find challenging obviously talking to me might be a strange <laughs> way of doing it what did i find challenging i think like i said the sol going to solution focus too quickly yeah because i didn't actually have the the the, the solutions ready yeah and then that felt really frustrating mm. okay. or i couldn't see a solution so yeah. that bit felt frustrating yeah yeah in terms of kind of body language and things like that did you notice was me it or you me me you were definitely leaning in. Okay. And you were definitely making eye contact. Okay. Was that okay for you? Don't know, actually. I found it been a bit too much for me. But okay. again, I think that's, again, around people's individual thresholds around yeah, yeah, yeah. 
body language and eye contact and stuff yeah. like that. But on the other hand, if you'd sat with your arms folded facing the other direction asking those questions, <laughs> it would have felt way worse. Yeah, 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 okay. I think the thing to remember throughout all of this, and as I say, that was really, really t way too quick that we'd kind of did that and it was just a taster. But the important thing, like all social work, is actually sometimes it's not just the doing of the thing, it's the reflecting back on what it felt like for you, what it felt like for me. What were the challenges? What were the bits? That That's really true, actually, because as you were, you were reflecting with me and yeah. you were helping me to pause yeah. and, and think. Yeah. And actually, what I, you were really listening to me. Mm which was really important. And yeah. your body language, as much as I found the leaning in or the eye contact kind of <laughs> a little bit too much Look at times, my <laughs> actually it was really helpful because you were really with me in that moment. Yeah, present. Yeah, really Being present. Being present with people is a great present. There you go, <laughs> you don't need to buy presents. Just be present. Unfortunately, we have to, we could talk about this forever, couldn't we? And we've run out of time for today. But, um... I wanted to wish you just the merry, merriest of Christmas. Yes. Not festivities. It's a festive episode. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> we really need to work on our communication. <laughs> just have a great Christmas. And you. Okay. And you, Paul. Ciao for now. Oh, can I do my um, Christmas song at the end? Okay. All right. Christmas, Christmas, do-do-do-do-do, social work. <laughs> Should have bought your tambourine. <laughs> yeah.